It's the final weekday of the regular season, and the Pacers are set up for a very chaotic weekend. What are they rooting for in all these upcoming games this weekend? What should they be looking for against the Pistons? We'll talk about the Pistons and some draft strategy stuff. And then at the end, got to talk about O'Shea Brissett, and I'll explain why when we get there. It's all coming today on the Locked On Pacers podcast. You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome in to another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers. As always, my name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and SI. And today, diving in, final weekday regular season day for the Pacers Friday April 7th lots to get to today Pacers play tonight against Detroit and Sunday against the Knicks again just talked about the Knicks so we'll talk a little bit about the Pistons in the second segment but mostly about the value of early second round picks because the Pistons have a good one on their roster at the end of the show we'll talk about O'Shea Brissett who I haven't highlighted this season we'll get to that later and I'll explain why he is the chosen last player to highlight this season but we'll open with the biggest story for the Pacers, all the draft positioning stuff, the rooting interests for the Pacers this weekend. It's all kind of falling into place. It's all very confusing at the same time. But every game matters seemingly for some seating, some draft positioning, and the Pacers certainly in the thick of it. Uh, Thursday games, there were many that impacted the Pacers. The Magic played and lost to the Cavs, meaning the Magic now have the exact same record as the Pacers. They're both 34 and 36 in the mad dash to the bottom. There's now a three-way tie for the sixth best lottery odds between Orlando, Indiana, and Washington. So those games, we'll talk about those teams in a second. And they also lost to the Cavs. So the Cavs' first-round pick the Pacers have is now 26th instead of 25th. And then also, the Spurs played the Blazers. Uh, the Blazers could have gotten a win because the Spurs, that, that injury report for that game was unbelievable. I tweeted it out if you want to see it. Spurs win, big fourth-quarter comeback for them to get a win. That helps the Pacers' second-round pick. Much better chance that the Rockets pick has to convey now still could not tiebreakers could be involved but it's more possible now than it was before portland maintains their fifth spot in the lottery standings that's what happened on thursday to set the scene for what the pacers have coming this weekend in short again pacers tied for six with two other teams in the inverse standings portland one game ahead and utah still technically on the pacers radar if the pacers win both of their games and utah lose both pacers could fall to nine so what i was hoping this segment would be is what games do pacers fans care about this weekend and who do they want to win and this became quite an exercise because of how jumbled the standings are, which teams are trying and not trying, and how all this tiebreakers shake out, and what could matter if one game goes this way or that way. So it's a lot, but there's still a lot to explain, and I think it's worth diving into. It's not just the obvious games, right? Like you could, I could have just said this and said Washington lose all their games and or wins all their games and Orlando wins all their games. The pitch will be happy, like duh. But there's more to it than that because of all this butterfly effect kind of stuff. And here's how I'll start to explain that. The Nets play the Magic tonight, Friday night, right? Obviously, if the Magic win, the Pacers will be happy. That would give the Magic 35 wins, and the Pacers currently have 34, notwithstanding their own game against Detroit. But, but, if the Nets beat the Magic on Friday, that would lock the Nets into the sixth seed, and the Miami Heat would be locked into the seventh seed. Nothing to play for in their final game. And who did the Heat play in their final game? The Orlando Magic. So, if the Heat are not playing for anything in their final game, there's actually a really good chance the Magic could win that game. But if they don't, you know, it could go the other way where the Heat are trying and then the Magic lose twice, right? So there's all these butterfly effect kind of games where to, ironically for the Pacers, 
to maximize their total chances of the Magic getting one win this weekend. It might be better if the Magic lose to the Nets, which is crazy to think about. That's the kind of stuff that's at stake, but the Heat locking up the seventh seed earlier might be better. Or the Magic just win, and the Heat are trying, and all this other stuff. It's But if the Magic win, like that's maybe fine. So it's really confusing on that front. The Blazers play the Clippers and Warriors. Pacers don't care about the Clippers or Warriors, so the Pacers obviously will hope Portland beats both of them. That's exceedingly unlikely. Um, I just listened to the low post with Zach Lowe and Kevin Pelton, and they were joking, like, if you can name all 10 rotation players for Portland right now, you are quite the NBA fan. I take pride in knowing probably the top 500 guys in the league at all times. Even I had to look a couple guys up on the Blazers recently. The Wizards, another key opponent or another key team to look at for the Pacers this weekend. They play Miami uh, and they play Houston. They play Miami Friday. Another interesting one because if they beat Miami on Friday, that would again lock the Heat into seven uh, and cause the Heat to not try against the Magic. Also though, Miami's going to be trying because they want to get six. So that's exceedingly unlikely. But that could be a dream scenario where uh, Orlando is playing a not trying Heat team and the Wizards get a win that's unexpected. But that would be, you know, that's really hard to imagine having, but it's possible. And then the Wizards in their final game play the Rockets, which is, in my, for me, my money, the most important game of the season for the Pacers that the Pacers themselves are not involved in. If the Rockets lose Friday, I'll get to them later, um, then it's locked that the Pacers will have at least a coin flip chance of keeping that Rockets second rounder at pick 32. That's, of course, the dream. That would be a really good second rounder. It's basically a first rounder. It's only two picks away. If the Rockets win on Friday, which is plausible, they play a bad team, uh, then that Wizards game is 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 pretty important for the Pacers in that if the Wizards win, of course, that helps the Pacers in their lottery standings and the second round, right? So that's a really, really big game. Pacers will be wearing Wizards gear. <laughs> All, they can't, they play, but um, they'll be rooting for the Wizards very hard. In that game, we'll get to the the summary of all this at the end. But the other little things, one Jazz win or one Pacers loss would lock the Pacers into top eight lottery level uh, because the Jazz are at 38. I mentioned that earlier. The Jazz play uh, the Lakers and the Nuggets. They have nothing to play for anymore. The Jazz have been eliminated. The Lakers are trying to get out of the play and the Nuggets have nothing to play for, though. So it's possible the Jazz do beat the, the Nuggets in that game. TBD, it depends because the Jazz could also not care if they lose. They could just not even be able to make it up into the top eight, depending on how some other games go. But if they can't get into the top eight, it, it doesn't matter for the Pacers. There's a lot to that, but that doesn't matter. Uh, another thing the Pacers will be rooting for this weekend is a Spurs win. It seems unlikely, but it's not impossible. If the Spurs win once, that would mean basically it's a lock. All it would take is run one out of two Rockets losses for the Pacers to clinch that Rockets second rounder. Again, the reminder here, if the Rockets second round pick is 32, the Pacers get it. If it's 33, the Celtics get it. And then the Pacers get pick 50 from the Heat instead. Huge drop. That Heat pick could be like 49 or 51 or something. But either way, that's a significant, significant change. So the Pacers would obviously like that pick and would like the Rockets to lose. The Spurs have one more win than the Rockets right now with two games to go. The Spurs play Minnesota uh, on Saturday. And then they play the Mavericks on Sunday. The key part of that Mavericks game is, depending on how things break leading up to it, it's possible the Mavericks are already eliminated from the plan by that game and could be not trying. So they can lock up the 10th best lottery odds. If that's the case, the Spurs could theoretically win that game. For two tanktastic teams, that's probably the best chance for the Rockets pick to stay the Pacers way if things don't go perfectly in Houston. And so in turn, if Chicago beats Dallas on Friday, that would make Dallas not try. That's another one of those butterfly effect games. So Bulls-Mavericks seems like a game the Pacers shouldn't care about, but a Bulls win actually would. 
be helpful for the Pacers on the last day of the season. So just another one. And then Houston, the last team here, two losses. That's what the Pacers want from them. One is critical. Two would be fantastic on the Pacers front. They play crummy teams. Charlotte on Friday, Washington on Sunday. Charlotte's locked into four. So they are, they're still sitting their top guys. So they don't get hurt. Kelly Oubre not playing. Tierra's you're not playing. But they're still trying, giving a lot of effort, being pesky, right? So that one could go the Hornets' way. And if it does, Pacers will be happy. But uh, either way, one Houston loss is huge. Two is great. Um, the last little thing to care about is, is the Cavs' first rounder. It's currently slotted 26th. If the Cavs win their next game, they could end up tying Denver and Philly in the standings. And then the Cavs pick could fall as far as 28. So Pacers will be hoping the Cavs lose their only remaining game this season. But also, if Memphis wins both or one of their games, the Cavs pick could get up as high as 25. So on that front, uh, the Pacers will be rooting against the Cavs on Sunday, who play the Hornets, who probably won't be trying. But the Cavs certainly won't be trying either. And the Pacers are rooting for the Grizzlies in their last two games. Grizzlies closed with Bucks and Thunder. Uh, Bucks certainly not trying. We will see about OKC. So that's a lot of information, but I'll sum it all up for you. I don't know if you can bookmark this or write it down, but uh, on Friday, the Pacers would like the Wizards to beat the Heat. Uh, in my opinion, I will not tell fans what to root for, but in my opinion, Pistons to beat the Pacers, Hornets to beat the Rockets, Magic to beat the Nets, Grizzlies to beat the Bucks, and the Bulls to beat the Mavericks. On Saturday, the Pacers will hope to see the Blazers beat the Clippers, the Jazz beat the Nuggets, and the Spurs beat the Timberwolves. And on Sunday, again, my opinion, but feel free to root for the Pacers. That's your job as a fan um, or whatever. Uh, either way, you get what I'm saying. Knicks over the Pacers, Magic over the Heat, Wizards over the Rockets. That's, again, a critical game. Spurs over the Mavericks and Blazers over the Warriors. If all that happens, which is a bajillion games, it's not all going to happen, but that would give the Pacers five in the lottery. They would get 32 from Houston. They would get 25 from Cleveland. And it's now official Boston pick going to the Pacers. It's going to be 29. That's locked in for the rest of the season. So that is all the stuff to watch. I will tweet that out maybe so you can just see it all in a list. But that is all the games and the rooting guide for the Pacers this weekend. Speaking of this weekend, Pacers play twice. They play the Pistons on Friday at home, and then they conclude their season Sunday matinee in the Garden. Pretty cool way to end the season. Uh, let's talk about those games, what to watch for, and I want to have a little conversation, thanks to the Pistons, about that early second round level of player and why the Pacers should want this Rockets pick so bad. Before we do that, though, got to talk to you guys about Nissan and give you the Nissan Electric Player of the week brought to you by the all new all electric 2023 Nissan Aria. This week's player of the week is TJ McConnell has to be in the last seven days, three games for TJ McConnell, 18.3 points per game, 5.3 rebounds, 8.3 assists on. These are not made up shooting splits. 71% from the field, 50% from deep, a hundred percent from the foul line completely ridiculous level of play for TJ McConnell. His 23 game score on basketball reference in the Pacers most recent game was his fourth best game of the season. He's been fantastic and a key part of the Pacers, not just flopping all over the place with their young groups recently. And he has been electric, brilliantly fierce, fiercely elegant, stunningly powerful and elegantly powerful and delivering on duality, a combination of fierceness and elegance, beautiful, but strong. The perfect SUV crossover, the 2023 Nissan Aria packs pin you to your seat, power and premium intelligence, all in one electric vehicle. The all new, all electric 2023 Nissan Aria, the electric vehicle for people who love to drive. Shop now at NissanUSA.com. 
Thank you, as always, for making Lockdown Pacers your first listen today and every single day for your second listen. Hop on over to Lockdown Blazers because Mike Richmond will have everything on the Blazers playing players that, again, you have to uh, that are not well known, I would say, around the NBA and what that team is up to. And you can hear about the team the Pacers are trying to catch in the lottery standings. And Mike Richmond is just a delightful dude to listen to talk about the Portland Trailblazers. Pacers, two games this weekend again i will never tell fans what to root for but two losses uh the pacers being eliminated that would be ideal we'll see what actually happens this weekend i will be curious you know from a from a young player perspective on sunday specifically what it looks like when a lineup of 24 year old and younger players has to make adjustments to the Knicks. they just played them they just mentioned that their open the game game plan was not what they wanted they adjusted they played better throughout the rest of the game they still lost right when they have Time to regroup and look at the film. Can they make big adjustments and execute them? That will be fascinating to see from a macro perspective on Sunday, Uh, even though neither team will have anything to play for at that stage. But we'll see how this goes, right? The young guys are the key all weekend. And also who plays is key all weekend, right? Taliburton listed out against the Pistons. Turner's listed as questionable. But the new ones for the Pacers on the injury report Jalen Smith is questionable against the Pistons, as is TJ McConnell. Hip soreness for McConnell. I believe it's knee soreness for Smith. Don't quote me on that. I can look it up while I'm still talking because I've seen a million new things uh, today. Yes, right knee soreness for Jalen Smith. If either of them play, that's the Pacers' two top scorers from their last game out. Right, This is how this part of the season is. You try to get your young guys' minutes in one sort of way. The Pistons, they stink. They just flat out stink. They've clinched the worst record. Their best player has been hurt. Or, yeah, the worst record. Their best player has been hurt all season in Cade Cunningham. They have won once in their last 23 games. That win was the Pacers game a few weeks ago in Detroit when they had that little mini series uh, there. They have some interesting young talent, but you know, they're, they're, it's hard to study their rebuild. It's too early. They've had too many injuries. They don't have all the pieces quite yet. You know, I will be interested, like, if the Wiseman stuff works for them then the Pacers could think, hey, trading five seconds for, you know, an out-of-sorts top pick from the past could be something they explore, right? They've had success with these rehabilitation projects. That could be something the Pacers learn from the Pistons, but it's too early in their rebuild to say, can the Pacers copy anything from Detroit? And until Cade plays, it's hard to see what that team's going to be good at. Instead, I'm going to use the Pistons and this late-game opportunity to talk about team building in the early second round of the draft because the Pistons employ a former Pacer who was fantastic for the Pacers and has been even more fantastic since not being with the Pacers, and that's Boyan Bogdanovich. 18 points per game that final season with the Pacers was their number one option for so much of the year after Oladipo's injury ascended to a 20 points per game guy twice in the last four seasons. Wonderful offensive talent, right? What made it this stand out to me when I was digging into stuff about the Pistons that I think is interesting is Boyan was picked 31st overall, the first pick of the second round. It was a long time ago, 2014. He even come over till 2014. Excuse me. That was the 2011 draft that he went 31st. But he's really good. And you know who else is pretty good and was picked 31st? Andrew Dambard. And the Pacers had Davon Reed on their team a few years ago. He went 32nd and is looking really good for the Denver Nuggets. And I just cite those Pacers and Pistons who are doing well from those picks to talk about how important those picks can be, right? They're not first round picks, but it's always really like it, it's talked about that way. This is a second round pick. This guy was a second rounder. Andrew Nembard is the first second rounder to do this this season. And that's all factually accurate, but it's one pick later, like two picks later, whatever. It's so, I don't know what you want to call the cutoff in your head of so close to the first round, but the talent drop from pick 30 to 31 
it, it can, is not that big, just like by default, right? Those picks are so close to first round picks in value and talent that they're still really important. So even if it sound, seems like making a lot of hubbub about nothing, talking about this rocket second rounder, no much like just in the last 10 years at pick 31, Andrew Nembard, or 12 years, Andrew Nembard, Boyan Bogdanovich, Alan Crabb, Chetty Osman, Frank Jackson, Nick Claxton, like good players, rotation level dudes on, we'll see what, what the Pacers turn out to be, obviously, but on decent teams, right? Tyrell Terry looked like he would have been good before he ended up having to retire. Elliot Kobo was good for a few years in there. Uh, Damian Ingles was, was a player for a few years, right? 31 can be valuable. And the other part of it is, especially for the Pacers specifically, if you have a salary cap exception or cap space, you can sign them to a contract that's even more friendly than a first-round picks rookie scale deal. Not technically. First-round picks come with the two years of team options, which is valuable, but the Pacers got Nembard on a mega-cheap four-year deal with last-year options to make him a restricted free agent. I mean, that's that's just fantastic if you love a guy. Rick Carlisle recently called Nembard a top-ten-level talent in the draft, and it's hard you know, to argue with that, I'm sure if you redrafted, he wouldn't go in the top 10, but he's been really good, right? These picks have value 32, which is the guaranteed pick the Pacers would get from the Rockets because the Rockets cannot finish with the worst record has also seen a lot of success in the last 12, 15 years, whatever. Jeremiah Robinson Earl, good player for the Thunder. Vernon Carey, good player for the Wizards. Javon Carter in the rotation for the Bucks, who have the best record in the NBA. Devon Reed uh, was in the rotation earlier this season for the Nuggets and was on the Pacers early in his career. Avicja Zubac and Montrez Harrell, both in the rotation of contenders this season. Alex Abrinas was in the rotation for the Thunder when they made the conference finals. Tomas Sadoransky, who just left the NBA, was in the rotation for the Wizards when they were making runs in the playoffs, right? It's a solid slot. These top of the second round picks sound like second round picks, but the history of them is pretty good. And this is not like the this giant talent drop from the first round that should make it seem – this sounds so obvious, but I just think the perception of these picks is thought of in a way that's different than reality where you get a little bit of negotiating power, but you still get a nearly first-round level player. The contract is not as good as the double-team option first-round rookie skill deal, but it's still valuable. And the Pistons having Bojan, who, again, was also fantastic from 31, was also a draft and stash. <laughs> you know, the, they just end up being a valuable thing. Now, listen, they could be crap too. Right. The, if, at pick 31, Isaiah Todd, who the Pacers traded that pick to get Isaiah Jackson, hasn't been good. Right. Elliot Kobo did not turn out to be good. Deonta Davis, who I actually really liked, didn't turn out to be good. At pick 32, some misses as well. We'll see what Caleb Houston turns out to be. Casey Okpala is probably out of the league now. KJ McDaniels never amounted to what his athleticism suggested he could. These are some names that some of you maybe never have heard of before. But the fact that there are solidly consistent hits, at worst, you could say one out of every three years means that pick has trade value at the very least in a way that pick 50 or nothing at all doesn't, right? And so if you're the Pacers and you look at what Bogdanovich is doing, the absolute top end of these names that I've said today, or what Andrew Nembard is doing, or what any of these guys who look good from early second round picks turn out to be, that's it's a high enough pick that your team still invests in you. It's a good enough pick that it's nearly a first rounder. You still have the negotiating power. They're valuable picks. And Boyan's proved what you can be from this pick and Nembard's proving it now. And that's why, one, the Pistons have the blueprint with the second rounder and their team. Two, the Pacers have had success with the 31st pick in the last two years, trading Todd and other stuff to get Isaiah Jackson, as well as drafting Nembard. And three, this displays why the Pacers want the Rockets to lose their two games this weekend so they can lock up that 32nd pick in the draft. That's not exactly Pistons related. Boyan hasn't played in a while. The Pistons 
do not care about winning. They're trying to develop talent and figure out this Wiseman endurance stuff. And you cannot blame them for doing what they're doing when Kate is hurt. But it's hard to find compelling comparisons for the Pacers and Pistons at this point of the season with so much of it over. Let's close out these regular season shows talking about O'Shea Brissett. Why, you might ask? Because I have done a segment deep dive on every Pacers player who's played 200 minutes this season, which is 16 guys, Goga Batadze and Terry Taylor included, except for O'Shea Brissett, who's played over 1,000 minutes. And I've only talked about him offhand based on his contract and never about his actual play on the court. I track very much who I do and don't cover and talk about, and I would like to talk about O'Shea Brissett, some of his numbers, some of his skills, and what it could mean for the future for him and this team. Before we do that, though, let me talk to you guys about FanDuel. The NBA playoffs almost here. We're only a few days away. Now's the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook, because new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back. If your first bet doesn't win, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can get bet on everything from the money line to point scores and threes drained, right? Jump in for games, the spread, the money line, jump in on player props, points, rebounds, assist totals, or their fun two-by-three unique bet, two three-pointer score in the first three minutes of a game. Plus, FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same-game parlay. So don't miss the chance to get your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Thank you, as always, for making Lockdown Pacers your first listen today and every single day. For your second listen, Lockdown Pistons. Hear about the team the Pacers play tonight from Mr. Kuka Hill, the host of Lockdown Pistons. And here, Ku, be relieved that he could finally shift into offseason mode after this whew, Piston season. I thought the Pistons were going to be okay this year. That was a mistake. Um, the Pacers have O'Shea Brissett on their team. And of every player on the team, I've tracked all the segments I do talking about every player individually. I have not done one on O'Shea Brissett. He's played over 1,000 minutes this year, right? Quite a, quite a bit. <laughs> over 60 games. He's probably going to end up being, I think, certainly, actually, the Pacers' leader in games played over the past two seasons. Kind of an Iron Man and a quality player, but doesn't get talked about much. He's sometimes in and out of the rotation. He never has quite long enough of a stretch of solid play to merit long discussion. This season, at least. In the past, he certainly has. Other fours have come in and done well. His minutes go up and down. But has it been this gripping opportunity to do it? So why not do it after game 80 when there's a lot of sample size? He's playing every day and showing the stuff he can and can't do. The reason I really wanted to dive into this is when I was looking up on-off numbers for various players uh, when doing some of these duo podcast segments recently, uh, I dove into O'Shea Brissett's on-off numbers. With O'Shea Brissett on the court, Pacers have a plus 1.95 net rating. That's pretty good. Offensive rating, 115.8. That's about average. Defensive rating, 113.9. That's really good, right? Uh, the offense is a little bit better than when he's off the floor, and the defense is way better. Now, granted, he's played with some lineups that would naturally boost his offensive rating. I don't think he's this big, giant plus on that end of the floor, but his on-off numbers are very good. Very, very good. He's almost a plus six on-off differential. That's super unique. That's not to say he's the most valuable player on the Pacers. That's to say that when he's in there, things go well because of the stuff he's able to do and provide. And what do I boil that down to? Because this year, right, the shot hasn't been there like it was early in his time with this team. It's been really inconsistent. The finishing at the rim, still a struggle for him, right? What If he's not finishing plays, how is he this ginormous plus, right? Because he makes no mistakes. 
outside of the the shooting not being quite there. That is such a valuable thing to me. So talk about a different player as a comparison. Monty Morris uh, with the Wizards, who they wanted to be their starting point guard because with Denver, Monty Morris was their backup one, but he never turned it over. He was very reliable with the ball. He made accurate on-time passes. He's a nosy defender, a low-mistakes player. Even if they don't raise your ceiling a ton, they're very helpful for your floor, and especially on a team like the Wizards who wanted more stability and control, grabbing a guy like Monty Morris was really valuable. And I get why they did that, and it hasn't been like amazing for them, but it made a lot of sense as a strategy. Being that low turnover as a guard is super rare. And hey, the Wizards, who are 34 and 46, have a better, have a positive above zero net rating when Monty Morris is on the court and a minus 2.2 net rating when he's not in there. Clearly, that plan had some merit, even if it hasn't really worked out for the Wizards. For a Pacers perspective, that is what I think is fascinating about O'Shea Brissett, right? Doesn't shoot like, yeah, so much that it kills his efficiency, right? Yes, his field goal percentage is down this year from past years and his three point percentages, but he takes less than five shots. Per game this season, per 36 minutes, his field goal attempts are the lowest they've been with the Pacers, right? They, they, they were lower with the Raptors his rookie year. That's the only time they've been lower. So I think that naturally, as a guy who's not making shots, taking less of them is helpful. He also gets to the line like a decent amount, not a ton, but a decent amount. So his free throw rate is, is through the roof. It's like top 25 in the NBA. He's not a top 25 foul drawer, but because he doesn't shoot very much, like that helps him be moderately efficient despite not making shots. 53% true shooting, slightly below average, but it's not bad. It's like the same as it was last year, right? Never turns it over. 7.7% turnover rate. That's great, right? He doesn't have a crazy high usage, 16%, but a low usage is always welcome for anybody who is playing in the rotation quite often. 7.7% turnover rate, the second lowest on the Pacers, third lowest, Gabe York, excuse me, by playing one game, now has a 0% turnover rate. Daniel Tice has the lowest at 5.7%. O'Shea Brissett at 7.7. Everybody else over 10% of their used possessions turnovers, right? That's, you know, that's a lot of turnovers, first of all, but that's credit to Brissett. He never turns it over. That's a low mistakes kind of player. He very rarely makes defensive mistakes. His positioning is good. He's nosy on the ball. He makes the right passes at the right time. They're not getting anyone open. Like he's not Tyrese Halliburton or McConnell throwing guys open, but if someone is open, he's getting on the ball, right? All these little things that just seem like, one-off skills or low mistake skills are valuable when you can do all of them. And I think that is why his stats are so suggests that when he's in the game, they're so much better than when he's out, even though it's not like he's, he specifically, when he comes in, it's like, Oh, now they're going to be way better at this or that. It's just that they're not going to be bad at almost anything when he's on the floor, because he can cover for a lot of stuff and do a lot of stuff on. It's not like he has just no skills, right? For years, he's been a good cutter. He knows when to do it. He can see the ball well. He sees his man well, cuts at a good time, and he's athletic enough to make that happen. 1.25 points points for possession on cuts, 57% shooting on plays with cuts. That's good, especially on a team like this that does a lot of random action, as they say, has good heads-up point guards, being a good cutter, very valuable. Fits in well with those guys. Miscellaneous plays, stuff that just doesn't fit into any category the NBA has, right? One guy dribbling into a pull-up three, random kickball transition plays, random unclassified jump shot plays. O'Shea Brissett is in the 98th percentile of points per possession added to a team in those plays. That sounds like nothing, but in general for a play that player that Kalen Cooper very adequately called resourceful, right? That's the perfect description of O'Shea Brissett. These miscellaneous crazy plays. He's good in chaos. He's good in weird situations. His instincts are good. 
And that makes him solid in those moments. That's why he's in the 98th percentile in those situations. Rock solid defensively. His defensive field goal percentage is good for the players he guards. And in general, uh, for a forward, he stays in front of guys. He's athletic. Just a low mistakes player. And that's why the stats say the Pacers have been better when he's on the court than off, even though it's very rare that like, if you were building the Pacers best five for this skill or that skill, it'd be very hard for him to be in the top five, except for just a raw defensive unit. But he's a good player. And the Pacers defense is much better with him out there. Now, because the Pacers are much better with him on the floor than off, does that mean he's a guy that they really need? Does it mean it's something specific about O'Shea Brissett that the Pacers should continue to invest in next year? Because his contract expires after Sunday. Well, really, it expires on June 30th, but Sunday's the last game. The regular season game is under contract. Does it mean it's him? Or is it fours who can defend and don't necessarily need the ball to be effective? That's kind of something the Pacers have to decide, right? Because O'Shea Brissett is a good culture, dude. He's a great bench piece. He's really tight with a lot of the guys on this team. He always has a good attitude about coming in. That's why he never unexpectedly plays and has a bad game, right? He's going to be consistent in those moments. So the question the Pacers have to answer is that one. Is it something about O'Shea Brissett that allows him to have this big positive impact when he plays? Or is it just any foreman who doesn't require the ball a lot is going to be helpful for this team because of the fact that they have a lot of guards who can do well with the ball and all the four man has to do is not turn it over much, set good screens and make the right pass to be effective. That's what the Pacers have to answer. And it's not that simple. That is a little bit belittling to O'Shea Brissett, the player. He is good. He does do things well. There's a reason the Pacers have kept him around for three years, but that's part of what makes him good is that he's a low mistakes player. And with the direction the Pacers are trending from an identity standpoint, I'll be curious how they answer that question, especially because they don't have a lot of roster spots this summer. And O'Shea Brissett is, is probably, and not even probably, O'Shea Brissett is their best player who's set to become a free agent. It'll be fascinating to see how that turns out and how many things go. We'll be talking about free agency a lot in the coming months because the Pacers season ends on Sunday. So Monday's podcast, we'll be breaking down the Pacers' final weekend of games, their season coming to an end, what their draft pick situation ended up being, all sorts of stuff like that. Then next week will be a lot of post-mortem-y stuff, how the season went, successful, unsuccessful, whatever terminology the guests I have on will use a big high-level off-season preview, dates you need to know, what the players said about their own free agency at action interviews, all sorts of stuff that I think you need to know. We'll talk a little bit about the playoffs. There's just a lot of off-season content to dive into. And then when May starts, draft, everything. We'll get into all of it. You know what covered here on Locked On Pacers, the numbers, the stories, the players, the details. Thank you, everybody, for listening all season long. Of course, we'll always be here five days a week for the next couple months. So please stay with us. Thank you for listening all season. Hope you enjoyed today's show. I'm on Twitter at T East NBA. If you'd like to discuss anything with me about draft picks, the Pistons, Shaper set anything. This podcast is at Locked On Pacers. Everybody have a fantastic weekend. We will see you on Monday.